Thank you. Good morning. Wow, we have um, extra chairs set up, don't we? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe next time we get and get some more cushion chairs. For the, I'm sorry for those of you who are on folding chairs. I think maybe we have a few more we can pull out for next week. But welcome. Thank you for being here. If you will grab a Bible and open it to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, if you're grabbing a Bible out of a basket, there'll be a post-it note that'll mark where that place is for you. We're in a series called The Story, which is learning to understand the Bible, not as a whole bunch of different stories, but as one big story of God and how he relates to us, to people. And um, we started in Genesis, where God, he creates the world good. And then he creates us in his image. And he gives it to us to rule over. And we break it. (laughs) We break creation. We break our relationship with each other. We break our relationship with God. And so God has been on this long-term restoration plan. And rescue plan. Or salvation plan, we call it sometimes. To heal our relationships with one another. To heal our relationship with him. And even to heal and restore the world. The problem is, our rebellion in the Garden of Eden was not just a one-time rebellion. People keep rebelling against the Lord. And it's like, whenever we disregard the Creator, the good Creator, who knows how He created this world to function... And who knows how he created us to function. But we disregard him and his good rules. Every time we do that, we just wreak more havoc in our lives, in our relationships, and even in this world. And we just keep making a mess of the world. And so there's an old adage that the only way to clean up a huge mess is to pick one spot. Right? And so God picks one person. Not even a particularly good person, but one person. And he says, hey, you, if you'll just follow me, come on, I'll bless you. I will bless you and and I will make you a blessing to all people. And so that's God's plan. He chooses one man, Abraham, and Abraham follows him to the land of Canaan, which is a very strategic location. It's in the middle of the known world. It's modern-day Israel. But to go from Africa to Asia, Asia to Europe, (laughs) um, you got to go through the land of Canaan. And so God says to Abraham, this is a spot. I'm going to give you descendants. And they are going to become a lighthouse nation. I'm going to teach you how to live how to be in a right relationship with people and with me, and then you're going to have children and they're going to learn and they're going to grow to be this huge nation that will be a lighthouse calling to all people like, this is the way. This is the way out of the brokenness and the chaos and back into a right relationship with one another and with God. So that's where we're at in the story of God in the Bible. We're just to give you kind of an idea of where this falls in the Bible. I know some of you have been reading along in the story, but in the first book is Genesis. God creates everything good. We break it. And so God starts his rescue plan with one man, Abraham. And Abraham's family, um, they live in Canaan until a famine. And then they move to Egypt. And they get really comfortable. And their comfort becomes their bondage. 
And so 400 years later, the book of Exodus picks up, and now they're slaves. And God raises up Moses, rescues them out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai, and they make this covenant to be family. God and these people, he's like, I'll be your God, I'll be your heavenly father, I will protect you and guide you and provide for you if you'll just be my children who trust me and follow me. And so they make that covenant at the end of Exodus, and then Leviticus is just a family rule book. They stay there at Mount Sinai for a year learning family rules. And some of them are like, here's our holidays and our family traditions we're going to celebrate. And some of them are like, here's how to clean your homes when they get moldy. And (laughs) just all kinds of interesting little things. And you can really see there's a lot of hygiene rules. I think about being a parent of middle schoolers when I read Leviticus sometimes. Um, But just God is teaching them how to live in a healthy way. And then after Leviticus, they've had a year of learning the family rules, and they head back to the promised land of Canaan. It's an 11-day journey. We talked about this last week. But it was like a journey taking your kids to Disney World from Michigan to Florida where they just whine the whole trip. And then you get there and they refuse to go in. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. They refused to go in. And what amazes me about God is he does not give up on them. He's angry with them, but he doesn't abandon them. And he says, fine, you don't want to go into the good land. Okay, I'm going to stay with you right here in the wilderness. And we're going to wander in circles for 40 years until you die. And then I will take your children in. And so that's what happens. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's been 40 years. All that rebellious generation that refused to trust God has died. And now it's their children's turn. And Moses is the last of that generation. And he's about to die. And so he gives this amazing speech to the younger generation that is standing like right on the edge of the promised land. Getting ready to go in. And Moses says, do you remember when you were little kids? And God brought you out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. And how he rained down bread from heaven for you. And and all of these things. And he took care of you. For 40 years you were in the desert and your sandals didn't even wear out. Do you remember that? And then your parents got to the promised land and they wouldn't go in. Don't be like your parents. You know? And he encourages them to go into the promised land and teaches them how to live while they're in the promised land. And one of the things that strikes me about Deuteronomy is, some of you will remember, back in Exodus, what was Moses' excuse to God for why he couldn't lead the people? Because he couldn't talk. He's like, I'm not an eloquent speaker, I stutter, all this kind of stuff. And we see what God does to him through a person who thinks he has no gifts, no talent, but follows God anyway, by the end of his life, Moses delivers this amazing speech that has stood the test of time. And it's still a great read today. But the very next book then is Joshua. And Joshua is where we're at today. So if you read in the story this last week, what you read was passages from the book of Joshua, okay? And um, it's exciting, It's very exciting. God's promise is coming true. Like, 400 years ago, he had promised Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. 
And they're going to be a lighthouse. They're going to be a priesthood that draws people to me and teaches people the right way to live. And so that there's not all this chaos and violence and abuse anymore. And, you know, and it's happening. Abraham, the guy who didn't have any kids in his 90s, had a son who had a son and daughters. And, and now there's this huge nation and they're right there on the edge of the land ready to go in. And the God leads them in, and they kill a lot of people. And it sure doesn't seem like they're being much of a blessing. And that's the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua really grapples with the subject of when is war justified. And how many civilian casualties are okay. And frankly, it's one of the last things I wanted to come and talk about today. God had actually talked to Abraham about this problem 400 years before it even came about. Back in the book of Genesis, God said to Abraham, God also said to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land of Canaan to take possession of it. And Abraham says, you have the next verse? But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? I mean, after all, there's all these people living here, right? And God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he tells him some hard things. He says, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son is going to come this great nation. But for 400 years, they will be slaves in a foreign nation land and then i'll bring them back here and this is what he says to abraham and the fourth generations in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the amorites has not yet reached its full measure that's a very curious verse the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, I'm not going to give you this land yet because the people here don't deserve to be kicked out yet. But there will become a day when they're so sinful that I'll have to remove them. And this is hard for me to swallow. Because it's hard for me to imagine a civilization, a culture that is like so evil and so wicked, it just deserves to be wiped out. But then I live in the United States where we enjoy more relative safety than people living in other parts of the world. And there are people living in parts of the world that are constantly in fear of terrorists or gang attacks or foreign invaders. And I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes, but I can imagine them praying every day, God, just please wipe out our enemies so we can live in peace. We've talked about this before, that God loves us and he gives us free will. God is not a dictator. He is not like the emperor in Star Wars whose idea of order is to control everybody. And to strike them dead the moment they get out of line. That's, that's not how God is. He loves us. He gives us free will. But even God has to grapple sometimes with letting people do what they want. And where does the line come 
that a certain culture or civilization becomes so wicked, they are just perpetrating a cycle of abuse and violence that just goes on and on with each generation. And sometimes, it com- there comes a point where the most merciful thing for God to do is end a culture so no more children are raised in that culture. And that's basically God is telling Abraham here, look, they're not at that point. But in 400 years, they will be. And I think that God warns the Canaanites ahead of time. I really do. I think um, he does, doesn't plan to wipe them out with any warning. I think, first of all, he sent them Abraham and Isaac to live among them. And he does these huge miracles in Abraham and Isaac's lives. I mean, the birth of Isaac was one of them. When Isaac plants seed during a famine, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and yields a crop a hundredfold that will feed his family and also the people living in Canaan, that's, that's God wooing people to himself. That's a miracle that says, look, I'm good. I'll provide for you, right? He warns them. When he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, these horribly wicked cities, that was a forewarning. And I think even when the Israelites were off in Egypt, I think God continued to send prophets to warn the people of Canaan. The Bible doesn't say that. This is my personal theory, okay? But I base the theory on the evidence of Scripture that every other time, God is going to bring judgment on people or a nation. He sends a prophet to warn them first. He sent Moses to Egypt, right? He sent um, Jonah to Nineveh. He sent Obadiah to Edom. He sent uh, Daniel to both Babylonian and Persian kings. Even in the New Testament, he sent Paul to Roman Kings and governors, we see all throughout the testimony of scripture that before God brings judgment on people, he does warn them and give them a chance to repent. But the people living in Canaan do not listen. And we know from archaeology and other ancient records that they practiced child sacrifice. They had a booming slave trade and... um, Part of their worship was trafficking and cutting. So in 400 years, their sin reaches its full measure. My absolute favorite video series for teaching people the Bible, this might come as a surprise to you, but my favorite video series for teaching the Bible is What's in the Bible with Buck Denver. It's a puppet show. It is. It's a puppet show um, by the creator of Veggie Tales. And with puppets and cartoons and silly songs and flannel graphs, um, he basically teaches people the equivalent of a bachelor's degree in Bible and theology. I am not kidding. It is absolutely phenomenal. So when my kids were this high, we started watching it every summer. And they were entertained by it, but... There was also a lot of things that were going over their heads. So every summer throughout elementary, we watched that series. And that's how I taught my kids the Bible. What's in the Bible with Buck Denver? Even if you're an adult, it's 
way more entertaining than Bible college and seminary. So I highly recommend it. But um, they actually grapple with stuff like this in there. And one of the things um, that is taught is as creator, God owns all the land. And he has the right to decide who he wants to lease it to. That is his right. And so this comes a point where God chooses to give the Israelites the land of Canaan. But it's not because they're so good. It's not. In that last phenomenal sermon that Moses gave the younger generation right before they were going into the promised land in Deuteronomy, this is what Moses says to them. He says, after the Lord your God has driven them, meaning the people living in Canaan, driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No. (laughs) It is on account of what? The wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you did not understand the first two times I said that, understand then that it is not because of your righteousness. That the Lord your God is giving you the good land to possess. For you are stiff-necked people. In other words, God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't play favorites. And Moses goes on to tell the people of Israel, God is going to hold you to the exact same standard as he held the people living in Canaan. And if you start to do the exact same things, the wicked deeds that they did, God's going to kick you out too. And well, how God manages nations and land rights, it's difficult for me to grasp and sometimes even accept. um, Because how God manages nations is not the way I would manage nations. (laughs) And and when God decides that war is a justifiable, justifiable means to end evil, is not when I would choose that war is a justifiable means to end evil. You know, like if I had any clue. I don't. So while all of this is hard for me to grasp, what I love about God in the book of Joshua is that even while he's managing nations and land rights, he's still relating to people as individuals. He still saves the people of Canaan who want to follow him. People like Rahab and her family and the Gibeonites. He does save them. And he also goes out of his way to encourage Joshua, the new leader, and the Israelites, that younger generation, who he is leading to do some very challenging things. Because battle is never easy. It's never easy. I've never been a soldier. Some of you have. And battle is never easy, even when it's for a good cause. God has been patiently waiting with the Israelites for 400 years, teaching them his rules about the good way to live. He's been preparing them, and now they're at the 
spurge a battle. And he gives them a pep talk. So let's read Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I just want to pause there to make sure we don't miss the weight of this statement. Moses the one who confronted Pharaoh. Moses, the one who God used to part the Red Sea and bring water from the rock and rain down bread from heaven and lead them for 40 years and teach them the way of God. That Moses is dead. And now you lead all these people into the promised land. You feel that? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it, from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There are times God leads us into difficult territory. Some of you know what it's like to be a soldier on the verge of battle. I'm okay. (laughs) But there are all of us, there's times where God calls us into some battle. Maybe it's a fight for your marriage to save it. Maybe it's not a fight to save your marriage. Maybe it's just a fight to believe that your marriage can be wonderful and not just bearable. Maybe it's a fight for your business and to preserve the jobs of your employees. Maybe it is a fight to change a toxic culture at work or some kind of dysfunction at school. You know, maybe it's a fight to help lift your family out of poverty into the blessings that God wants to give you. Maybe it's a fight not to sink into despair when you've lost a loved one. 
But whenever God calls you to the edge of a fight, it's because he's leading you to a good future. He's leading you to a place where he does want to bless you and cause you to be a blessing to others. And God may not define victory the same way you do. In fact, he probably doesn't. But if you keep following him, he will lead you to the good future. So no matter what uphill battle you are facing, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. He will neither leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law of God he's given you. And do not turn from it, from the right or to the left. So that you may be prosperous wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be careful to do everything that's in it. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. Has God not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God speaks these words to us. And then the first thing God does is not take us head first into that battle. The first thing God does is he actually baptizes his people. They go to the Jordan River. And I love this story for two reasons. Because God does two very specific things here. The first thing, he has Joshua, who is like, oh my goodness, who wants to be in Joshua's shoes right now, right? Um, he has not got an easy job ahead of him. But God says, I am going to lift you up and elevate you in the eyes of the Israelites so they'll follow you. And he repeats the Red Sea party miracle that he did through Moses. That was the miracle that the people really finally began to trust Moses, right? Where Moses spoke and God parted the Red Sea and they walked out of slavery into freedom. Well, God does the same thing for this next generation. He elevates Joshua and he says, Joshua, we're going to do it again. And they're going to see that you're my man. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, and they step into the Jordan River. And as soon as their feet touch that water, God parts it. And all the people walk through on dry land into the promised land. And we've talked about this before, about how the Old Testament has symbols of what our baptism is. The first one is Noah and the flood, where the Bible says the whole world was filled with violence. And God sent the flood and brought Noah and his family through it to peace. And we see it in the Red Sea, where God takes the Israelites from slavery through the Red Sea into freedom. And now he's doing it with the next generation of Israelites. They were free, but they were wandering lost. 
How many of you know that? God has set you free, but you're still wandering lost. And he takes them through the Red Sea into their home where he gives them purpose to be a light, to be a blessing to other people. And these are symbols of the baptism that God does to us through the power of his Holy Spirit when he washes us clean from all the chaos, all the sin, all the mess of our lives, and he raises us up up to new life through the power of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be baptizing four people later today. We're very excited about that. And so then after he... He just looks out for Joshua, you know, and he's, he, he helps Joshua with that. And he baptizes the people and he brings them into their new homeland. Now they have their first big battle, the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho had walls almost 12 feet high and 6 feet wide, which was astronomical for those days. It was considered a fortress that couldn't be conquered. And God gives them these instructions. He's like, you're going to march around it once for six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And then have the trumpets sound. And when the trumpets sound, give a loud cry to the Lord. And what is going to happen? The walls are going to come tumbling down. And I think God is teaching his people that this is how you win. It's not with your logic. It's not with all of the things that you think are going to work. It's by following me. And if you follow me and you trust my plan, I am going to tell you to do some things that don't make sense. Oh, man. We're going to need a towel. (laughs) I just baptized my sermon that I actually finished. And... (laughs) Do you have any in there? Okay, thank you. Um, so, like, I finished my sermon about five minutes ago, and this is just... Okay, so thanks. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, keep going, I gotcha. But this is what God does. He, he asks us to do things that don't make sense. Because if we only do what's logical, we will never see a miracle. Because miracles are not logical. We have to follow God and listen to his instructions and let him tear down the walls that we can't tear down ourselves. So I don't know what walls you're facing today. Some of them are outside of you. And there are huge obstacles that need to be removed for you to move forward in life. Some of the walls, it may be walls inside of you. It may be walls that you have built up because of some hurt, some trauma that happened in the past. And you've built this protective barrier. And if you ever want to be healed, you got to let God tear down those walls and come through with his Holy Spirit and clean you up inside. And that's scary. When God asks us to do these things 
And, the, and we know because what happens is when we built these walls to protect us and we think everything is fine, suddenly stu- stuff, yucky stuff that we've buried for a long time starts to surface. And that is our sign from God that he wants to start tearing down some walls and bringing his spirit in and cleaning us out and making us healthy and good and new again. That he wants to baptize us. So if God is calling you, trust him. Trust him and be strong and courageous and Do not let this book of the law depart from your lips. Meditate on it. Our prayer for this year is, Lord, build our lives on your word. That's what we're praying every day. That's why we're going through this series where we're understanding the grand story of the Bible. Because it's through his word that God breathes new life into us and starts to do miracles of transformation in us. And through us, to other people. So, the worship team, you guys can come on up. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship the Lord. And then we're going to baptize people. But while the worship team is singing, I'm going to stand back there by the cross. And if you want to meet with me and pray because God is leading you, That it's time to bring down some walls or maybe it's time to make a new commitment to follow him. I'll be happy to meet with you back by the cross. All right. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father. God, I thank you that you're good and you don't give up on us. Even when we're stubborn. Even when we whine and complain. And even when we downright refuse and say, nope, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to let you make the good changes in my life, God, that need to be made. You sit and say, okay, we'll just wander in the wilderness together. God, give us courage to stop wandering and to follow you. Holy Spirit, draw us closer to you and fill us with courage so that we will follow. And God, give us a deep desire for your word. So that we may learn it because there is truth and life in it. The truth that sets us free. So help us to learn your word, God, and desire it so that we will not stray from the path of life that you are leading us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.